Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle a financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. And I'm Will, your producer. So we have uh, two listener questions today. Our first question comes from listener Kelly, who actually saw me speak a few weeks ago at a conference and had a follow-up question. So Kelly says... I think I'm doing all right with my investments. I max out my 401k and my Roth IRA, though I've noticed that every time I contribute to my IRA, I have to go in and manually say where to put that money. Then there are trading fees, and I have to do all the percentage calculations, and it seems like a huge hassle and a lot of trading fees. I was speaking to my mom about this and explained that I have to pay a fee and do the percentage calculation for each stock I own, and it sucks. This stopped her, and with surprise in her voice, her response was, Oh, you're doing real investing with actual stocks. She thinks I know what I'm doing, but I surely don't. This and the cash in my IRA has been sitting there, since I don't want to pay all these trading fees every year for the 20 stocks I have, has prompted me to want to get out of the real investing game. The thing is that I don't know how to get out. I imagine you're going to say, okay, Kelly, you go to your page and for each stock, select the sell all button and woohoo, you're done. (laughs) Then go invest in whatever index funds look good. Is it really that easy, though? Should I try to sell over multiple days to account for market fluctuations? When I have index funds and I contribute to my IRA each year, do I have to go in and pay fees to make sure it gets in the right place? I just contributed for 2018, so I'm ready to take action and not just have the cash sitting around there anymore. Oh, this is such a good question, Kelly, because I feel like, one, I love that you don't view index funds as real investing and you're like I'm doing real investing I mean the good the good slash like bad manual investing I yeah guess. manual investing um single stock investing but it, but remember that mutual funds are still investing um and I don't want people to feel like they're not a real investor if they're doing index fund investing it's just an easier form and we're all about making investing and saving for retirement easier on this show and so we want to make it easy for you. And you're exactly right about what I'm going to tell you, which is that <laughs> you all you really have to do is go in and hit sell all and then you can buy index funds. Um, and the reason I recommend doing this, I you know, I'm not recommending specific index funds, but the reason I recommend index funds for the general layperson investor is that choosing individual stocks is hard. It's hard even for people whose whole job it is doing this. So I you mentioned fees a lot, and I do want to, we've talked before about expense ratios on the show, and the, one of the reasons we like index funds is that they tend to have relatively low fees. Um, but I do want to say you will always pay some fees to invest, simply because that's what you pay for the work of someone else doing the brokering for you. Right, someone touching your money is always the, yeah, as I the say, analogy you've used. Yeah, every time someone touches your money, they take a little bit of it away. So obviously you are not personally going to go down to the floor of the stock exchange and wave around slips of paper trying to buy and sell your stocks. Uh, or, you know, more realistically, mm-hmm. nowadays, you're not spinning up a half million dollar computer system to engage in stock trades each time. Um, <laughs> and so you're always going to pay a small percentage or in order to invest. So I don't want you to put off investing and having things sit in cash simply because you're like, oh, I don't want to pay any fees at all. Um, the goal, of course, is to pay less in fees. You right. want you want to pay a smaller amount of fees. Um, but it, you're going to pay something. Um, the rule of thumb we generally use is that we like to look for less than 0.1%, ideally 
less than 0.5% fees um, is what your expense ratio is on this show. And um, it's easy to calculate an expense ratio generally for an index fund um, simply because you don't usually pay a ton of transaction fees. What Kelly has discovered is if you're buying and selling actual stocks, like if you're buying some Apple and some Amazon and some you know fruit stand down the block that happens to be publicly traded, <laughs> um, if you're buying stocks in those, Often you're paying um, individual broker fees and those in a mutual fund, uh, which is what an index fund is. It's just it's a mutual fund that is composed of everything as opposed to kind of a choice of a couple funds. Right. That buying and selling of stocks does happen within that fund um, in order to keep it you know, reflective of the economy as a whole. Uh, so with mutual funds so that they can, you know, try to get the best deal and they pay that, but it's all rolled up into that one expense ratio for the fund. Right. Versus an expense, a, a fee, a percentage every time. You every touch single a time. Stock. Yeah. Which a lot of people enjoy doing what you call, Kelly, real investing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I always recommend doing that kind of with your fund money and don't do it with the main bulk of your retirement um, just because that is you can you can make excellent money off buying and selling stocks um, but you also can lose a lot of money and so i like to kind of take the more low-key version um, which is mutual funds index funds so all you really have to do is log in to whatever the brokerage is that you are using for your retirement plan uh, whatever your 401k or your IRA is administered through, sell off those individual stocks and uh, then find index funds to invest in. And I usually recommend that you, because you will pay, a f you know, some fees for each fund that you hold, you really want to keep it below four or so funds. And as always, I generally recommend that, um, you know, b the kind of rule of thumb is you take 110 and you subtract your age from it. So if you are 30, mm -hmm. Um, you would take 110 and subtract 30 from it, and that would mean that 80% of your portfolio, would, which is 110 minus 30, that's all the math we're going to do, I promise, uh, <laughs> the 80% of your portfolio would be in stocks, and then 20% would be in bonds. And bonds, um, you, can find index, you can find mutual funds made entirely of bonds, just the same as you can find ones made of stocks. Mm. And bonds tend to be a little more stable. Um, they help smooth out the ride that is stocks, which are more volatile. So you're like, okay, that's two, that's two funds right there. Why, why did and you say two? Yeah. yeah, why did you say, <laughs> why did you say less than four? Well, because quite often you want to have a mix of international and U.S. So uh, quite often I recommend between uh, 15 and 25 percent of your portfolio, at least the stock part of your portfolio, you want to have an international funds. And that's just so that when the U.S. goes and burns itself into a fiery pit, you are a little bit more diversified. Um, obviously, but in case it doesn't, you've still got some invested in this market. Yeah. I mean, if the U.S. burns into a fiery pit, your economic situation is probably going to be problematic regardless of what your stock allocations are. And, and so it's important to realize that like you're already heavily invested in the U.S. if you are a U.S. resident, if you work for a U.S. company. Um, and and there's something to be said for, uh, you know, investing in a market that is kind of reflective of your daily life. But it's nice to be diversified. So, um, you know, being in developing economies or, you know, Asian markets, they have different cycles, right? So China might be doing really well when the U.S. is doing poorly. And so, having some kind of, especially if we're in a trade war, <laughs> um, and so having some kind of diversity in there. So if you had 80% in stocks, yeah, so if you had 80% in stocks, what you would do is 
15% of that, which would be 12% of your overall investments, would be allocated into international index fund for stocks. And these are all things you can find. Um, it's relatively easy to find. Last thing, you asked about timing. <laughs> the time to do this is now. 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 Do it. Um, if you want. Which is, yeah, which is now could be, when you're listening to this episode, now could be, you know, in a couple weeks when you get around to it. Um, what I'm going to try to say is don't try to spread it over multiple days. Don't make it too complicated for yourself. Don't try to play the market timing. Trying to play market timing is a fool's errand. You're investing for the long term. And day-to-day -day market fluctuation will not make or break your retirement planning overall. And it certainly really won't matter overall in the um, amount that even you pay this year. So one of the big things about investing for retirement is making yourself feel more calm <laughs> <laughs> about generally kind of the state of the world and your own portfolio and not panicking and selling things. So, you know, a lot of stocks just fell over this um, recent weekend. Facebook, I think Mark Zuckerberg went from the second richest person in the world to the sixth richest person in the world. Uh. I know. So hard for Mr. Zuck. If you can lose that much in stocks. You, you have too much money to begin with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so and that was because Facebook, um, you know, ended up um, having a lower than expected revenue. There's a lot of ideas about why that might be true. One of them is that they might possibly actually just be running out of humans, um, <laughs> which is Netflix kind of had the same problem. And so you may be in the situation where you'll see the market tank and you'll be freaked out and you'll be like, oh, I own individual stocks in this. I should wait for it to bounce back before I sell it. Don't freak out. You're doing this for the long term. Um, don't freak out is sort of the core <laughs> retirement planning message <laughs> on the show. Um, it's a good message in general. And and one thing I want you to understand is that if you are sitting on cash in your IRA, there's a cost to that as well. So if you are concerned about investing because you don't want to pay expense ratios and fees, remember that you're paying in order to be able to invest, in order to buy small pieces of companies. But if you just have cash sitting there, you're losing, you're also paying a fee and that fee is inflation. So the the value of that cash that you have just sitting there because it isn't actively invested and because pretty much checking accounts don't make any money these days mm -hmm. um very few of them checking and savings accounts have good interest return on them you're losing whatever the value of inflation is which is between two and five percent a year um and so there's something to be said for like not sitting on cash waiting because you want to avoid paying fees because you're paying a fee just by sitting on cash so huh no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good way to think about it, too, because cash definitely seems static and like you're hanging on to it. But when you take into account inflation, that really pushes a reason to invest it. Yeah. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention about Kelly is she said that every time she contributes to her IRA, she has to go in and manually say where to put that money. Um, you might very well be able to set up automatic transactions that just do the index fund um allocation that you've chosen right input that percentage you think is right and it would sort of it, it does it automatically so i have my my ira it goes from my checking account each month um the amount that i put in gets transferred and then a couple days later i have a it goes into what's called a settlement fund which is kind of like the checking account for your retirement brokerage that's where it sits in cash okay um and it goes into my settlement fund and then because i know it takes a couple days for banks to talk to each other because we live in america mm -hmm. <laughs> which has terrible banking infrastructure um 
then a couple days later, I then have an automatic transaction to go from the settlement fund, where it then invests into, um, for me, a target retirement fund, which is an excellent way of doing all of those allocations based on your age without me having to do anything. So it all just gets automatically invested in a target huh. retirement fund. And so I don't touch anything, <laughs> right. right? You know, I just have a, I have auto debit set up all over the place and it everything happens automatically. And it's really easy if you know you're able to max out your IRA each month. That's $458 a month. You can have that auto set up um, if monthly is the way that you do your budget. So, Neat. No, that's super cool. I think that's a good explanation of how you use that in reality. Yeah. And, you know, once again, the lesson. Don't freak out. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Oh My Dollar. We're going to dive into our second listener question from the day. Question two. It comes from Christina. Christina writes in, my car loan will be paid off in about a year. I'm working on long-term. I'm working on a long-term budget with specific goals, something I've never done before. So I'm wondering how I should plan to use that monthly payment of three hundred and twenty-nine dollars. The only debt I have is my mortgage, which is a fixed rate. I have a pension and a tax-deferred annuity plan, and I have a solid emergency fund already. Would it be better to put the money towards my mortgage principal, my retirement fund, or something else entirely? Of course, Christina, I'm going to say this is based on your own choices and values, as usual. Also, way to pay off your car loan. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I'm so happy to hear you already have an emergency fund um, and that you're already, you know, making contributions to your retirement. So it sounds like you've got like a nice, broad financial base. Um, and so I'll just walk through some of the options with you in case there's someone else in Christina's position. So the first thing I want to make sure is that if you add up your 403B, which is also called a um, TSA, which is what your um, retirement account, your your tax-sheltered annuity, uh, it has lots of names. None of them are attractive. <laughs> but if you add up your 403B contributions and you add up your contributions to your pension, um, I want to make sure that they're about 15% of your gross income overall. Um, and that's really important because kind of 15% is the rule of thumb for being able to retire at a normal retirement age. Normal, you know, obviously being kind of vague, um, but 15% is sort of the rule of thumb. You can always push that up extra. The one thing that I want to make sure um, generally is that pensions are a little, they're harder these days because there's less guarantees. We've seen pensions restructured in the past. Mm -hmm. And the main thing I want to make sure is that pensions, like there will be some kind of pension. You will be able to probably, you will probably get a pension in some sort of type. Obviously, I can't predict the future, but we have seen people have them restructured in the past. And pension if they, tension. Pension <laughs> tension. Yeah. Ooh. But I, I want to make sure that your own contributions to your 403B, you have some things that are in some flexible accounts that you have some control over that is your own money, right? So your own contributions to the pension, um, you you could end up losing control of those. Um, it's obviously kind of a doomsday scenario, but it's happened to a lot of people. Um, and, you know, you don't have a lot of control on how the pension is managed. Um, and so I want to make sure that you have at least some money in your retirement that you have control over. And that could be an IRA um, or it could be your 403B. That money is just like a 401k. It's your money. You can take it with you. 
Um, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that issue with pensions, but I see why a 401k could be a little more uh, stable. Yeah. I mean, it's money that you take. You have control over how it's invested. Um, you might not love the options available to you for investment. And usually there are less options with a 403b than there are with like a, the average 401k just because they're for government and nonprofit employees. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we don't count or something like that. No, no. Um, <laughs> but it, so it's I just want to make sure that you're looking for two things. One, that it's about 15 percent of your overall gross income, not your take home, but your gross income. And that you make sure you have some money that's being put away in a way that you can kind of control, which means that 100 percent of your retirement plan is not locked up in your pension. It's just going to buy you a little more freedom and a little more flexibility later. So one of the options is to supercharge your retirement planning. We've talked before on the show about how you the amount that you save for retirement and the percentage you save for retirement has a huge factor on how long your working career needs to be. And frankly, it's pretty weird to save extra for retirement and it can buy you a ton of freedom and advantages if you kind of supercharge your savings. So that's one option. If you're looking into that, um, I actually recommend, it has a silly name, but the Mr. Money Mustache mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, does a pretty good job of laying out kind of what early retirement or financial independence options are. The classic book on this is called Your Money or Your Life, which we've talked about before on the show. So if you're interested in maybe shortening your working career, that can be a really good option, which doesn't mean that you have to, but it could mean that you have the option, which can be, I think, excellent for peace of mind. Putting extra funds towards your mortgage can in many ways have the same effect. So just because it's fixed rate, it's still there. It's still a thing you pay every month. Um, But putting extra funds towards your mortgage could supercharge your financial planning because if you can accelerate that timeline that you're going to have to be paying that for from a 30-year mortgage down to, it turns out, you know, if you put extra towards it, you may be able to get it down to you only have 10 years left on your mortgage or 15 years left on the mortgage. Um, It is amazing what happens when you're no longer paying that monthly payment. For most people, their mortgage payment is one of their largest expenses per month. I bet it is more than what your car payment is now. And so just imagine what kind of options would open up for you if you were only paying on property taxes and insurance and you were no longer paying that mortgage payment. Oh, yeah. You just have a lot more budget flexibility, it seems like. Which is awesome. But you're already kind of struggling with what to do with this money in the future (laughs) when you pay (laughs) this off. That's a good problem to be having. And so, you know, I think that for a lot of people, the security of property and just knowing that they're going to have a place to live and that they don't that they have that freedom in their budget to maybe reduce work hours work part-time if they don't have to pay that mortgage um, can make a huge difference and I think if you're someone who really likes tangible investments that is an excellent way to go um one other thing you can do which sounds like really boring but make sure you don't have to take out debt for your next car so um, if you have a pretty good estimate of when you might need to replace the car that you're about to pay off you can set aside a bit of a sinking fund for your next vehicle so that you don't ever have to look down a car payment again so you know if you just got a new car that might actually be really far out but that also might mean you only have to set aside like 25 bucks a month yeah no and that's cool i mean it seems like a lot of these options are sort of paying for things in your future in a way that would really kind of preserve some flexibility and give you more options you know even more options further down the line yeah and and so obviously I personally am a huge fan of saving but I don't want you to underestimate like if you've got no other debt other than your mortgage and you're already planning for retirement don't underestimate the power of allocating some of that towards fun stuff right don't just defer your future life yeah, right yeah. what whatever is a thing that you've wanted to do that maybe you've 
feel like you can't afford or that you've been putting off because of money, look at what that car payment could help you do for that. So maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's being able to take language classes. Maybe it's being able to help out, um, you know, a niece or a nephew with their college education. Like maybe it's being able to make significant gifts to a local nonprofit. You have a lot of options as long as you're kind of planning it out, which you are doing. Um, So I didn't give concrete advice, but I will say make sure you are at that 15% number. Make sure you have some money invested outside of a pension that you don't have complete control over. And think about what that version of your life is like if you took that money. So actually run the numbers on like, Mm -hmm. if I put all of that towards a mortgage, um, how quickly would that mortgage be paid off? Look at what your age is going to be like. Are you planning on like still living in that house in that amount of time? Are you thinking about another place to live? So those are all good options. Once again, it all depends on your value, but I'm a huge fan of sitting down and I like to ask myself the question, what would I spend this money on if money was no object, which is kind of a funny way to frame it. But I have sometimes I I do a lot of um, mental calculations where I'm like, oh, if I get this freelance gig, then I'm able to spend that money on this thing. And I like to instead kind of expand it. And I go like, if money was no object, what would be the first things I would go out and do with that money? And quite often it would be like huh. travel. Mm-hmm. And like buy really nice suits. Yeah. <laughs> the, <these laughs> Traveling are, around the world. Yeah, in your these are my suits. values. And like, you know, foster all the cats. <laughs> um, and, and so I like to look at like, okay, well, now that we've done the largest imaginary scale, what is the $300 version of this? What is a $300 a month version of fostering all the cats? <laughs> or what is a three, fostering a cat? Yeah. What is a $300 a month version of, of suits? Which is like, really, I could buy like, for four months, I could put that money towards nice suits and I could have plenty of nice suits after four months and then find something else to spend the money on. So <laughs> Then the cats. And then more cats. <laughs> and here are some cats. So as always, it's up to your personal values. Yeah, but That seems like a lot of really useful options, though. And I, I just your, your general advice of running the numbers and seeing what makes sense is... Running the numbers while thinking about your own values. Thinking about cats. <laughs> and cats, if, if that is part of your values. Um, so that's awesome. I'm... Really proud of you for uh, getting to that point and that you have a solid emergency fund. Thanks for the question. I think that's our show for today, Will. I think you're right. <laughs> our producer is Will Bromey, and our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. I'm Lillian Kerbake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening, and till next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. <laughs> <laughs>